Well, I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 1 will be our text this Lord's Day. If you've been with us, you know that two weeks ago we finished in our study of 1 and 2 Samuel, where we studied the life of King David. And as 2 Samuel comes to a close, King David's still alive. In fact, his life goes on into the first two chapters of 1 Kings. And so, uh, just to put a, a, a ribbon on this and kind of bring us to the end of David's reign in life, uh, we're going to go through the beginning of chapter 2 of 1 Kings uh, before we transition into our next study. And so, we're going to pick up here today at 1 Kings chapter 1, which essentially picks right up where we left off in 2 Samuel. Uh, these are in, in the last days of King David's reign, and we pick up with an old and aging King David. And so we're going to look at the first 10 verses of 1 Kings chapter 1. So out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand. And we stand because this is the holy word of God that has been handed down to us through generations. And this is what God's word says. Now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout the territory of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of the service of the king, and attended to him. But the king knew her not. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, and fifty men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Joihiah, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside in Rogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's son, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaniah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. If you would pray with me. Father, as we come to today's passage, as we come to chaos in David's kingdom, and we are reminded that we live in days of chaos as well. That the world is filled with chaos and uncertainty. That the world is filled with the question that is on so often our minds and hearts of, of what's going to happen next. The same question that likely was on the hearts and minds of those in Israel in these last days of David's life. And yet we are, what we are reminded of in this passage today and what we need to be reminded of in our world today is that you are sovereign and you are in control. Of all things at all times. So help us to trust in you today. As we seek to learn from your word today. We ask this in Christ's name. 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we look now at the end of David's reign, it's important for us to think back on the beginning of David's reign. And you may recall back in our study of 1 Samuel 16 when David was anointed to be king. It was during the day when Saul was the first king over Israel and yet Saul had disobeyed God and therefore God had removed his anointing and his favor from Saul and had told Samuel that he was to go and anoint another. He led Samuel to the house of Jesse and Samuel invited Jesse and Jesse's sons there in Bethlehem to go and make a sacrifice with him. And as they went, Samuel looked through each of Jesse's sons. He knew that one of these sons would be anointed as king. And as he looked at each of these sons, the Lord made it clear to him that they would not be the next king, that this one would not be the next king, until the point when he had gone through all of Jesse's sons that were there, and he asked, is there another? Of course, there was another. There was young David who was out in the fields watching over his father's flock. And so David comes there before Samuel, before Jesse, and before his brothers, and it is he who is anointed to be king. When we're first introduced to him, we read this description of him. He was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. As we follow then from 1 Samuel 16 on up to 1 Kings chapter 1, we see David as a mighty warrior. We see David as the one who's willing to stand on behalf of God's people against the giant Goliath. We see David so often in battle against the odds, taking on the enemies of God. We see enemies that come after him, and one after another, he is able to defeat them. We see David as this strong and mighty warrior. But then we come to 1 Kings chapter 1 and we're introduced to David in this way. Now King David was old and advanced in years and although they covered him with clothes, they could not get him warm. As we come now to this point in David's life, we, we don't see this strong and mighty warrior king. Now the picture we have here is of a sickly king. And so that's the first king I want us to look at in this tale of three kings in this passage. We're going to look at King David, this sickly king. And so as we look at David here, we are reminded that he is advanced in years. When you do the math based on other things that were told in 2 Samuel, David at this point is about 70 years old. But he seems to have aged greatly in those 70 years and be in poor health. The picture here is of an old, shivering man who cannot get warm. Now, some of you might identify with this. As we get older, it's harder for us to get warm. I know this specifically because some of you tell me each Sunday that it's too cold in here, while others of you tell me it's too hot in here. And so just a little tutorial for you. If you are too hot this morning, our ushers have provided you a very handy new resource. It's a personalized fan we make for each one of you when you come. And uh, you just flip the switch and do this. And if you are too cold, then we invite you to go upstairs to the hot box, uh, the balcony, where we set it 50 degrees warmer than down here below. That's our attempt to satisfy everyone. But, 
But even that attempt would not have helped David. Even being in our warm balcony would not have helped him. The, the, the place he's at in life, he, he's so cold, he's so aged, there seems to be going, something going on with the system where he, he just can't get warm. And so his men come up with this plan. That they try covering him with clothes, that, that doesn't work. Surely they tried blankets, that doesn't work. I'm sure they put him by a fire, that didn't work. And so they decide they're going to go throughout the land. They're going to look for a beautiful young woman. And they're going to place their, her there beside him. And her body heat's going to keep him warm. Now this is one of those places where it's important to note that oftentimes the scripture is descriptive and not prescriptive. <laughs> this is not prescriptive for us today. The, the application of today's message is not to go out and find yourself a young woman to keep you warm. <laughs> Uh, a hot water bottle, a heating blanket, perhaps, maybe setting your thermostat. Uh, those are good ideas. But, of course, those things weren't available to David in his day. And, and this seemed to be the, the plan for him. Perhaps it was often the plan for an aging king. And so the men go out. They find this young Shunammite woman named Abishag. They bring her then into the king's service. Now, Honestly, we read this, it seems like a very compromised situation for David to be putting himself into. But the scripture is very clear that there's nothing, no funny business going on here. And in fact, the writer makes it clear to us that as Abishag attended the king, the king knew her not. So we see here a picture of David later in life, aging in years, unable to get warm. And the question the thing comes to mind is this. What's next for God's people? You remember how this king business all started in the early chapters of 1 Samuel. It was the people of God looking around at all the other nations, seeing that they had kings, wanting to be like them, and, and putting their hope in a king. And they saw the, the failure of Saul, and they saw the success of David, and so they're trusting in David. He, he's their great hope. And yet now, it's very clear that David's not going to last much longer. And at this point, there's already been a couple of attempts by others to take David's throne. Of course, we've read and studied about Absalom, the son of David, who led a coup against his father. But that did not end well for him. It ended with him being killed against David's wishes by Joab and by his men. And then there was a rebellion by Sheba, which did not end well for Sheba as he is beheaded and his head is thrown over a wall. Well, we see in both those situations this strong, mighty, valiant David, this commander of David over his armies, defeating those who would rise up against him. And the people knew that, that they could trust in him. But now the situation's different. That was then, and this is now. And now David is old, and he can't even keep himself warm. Perhaps at this point, David is out of sight and out of mind. Perhaps at this point, David is tucked away in bedridden. Perhaps people haven't seen David in quite some time. And the question on their hearts and minds is, what is going to happen to the kingdom now? Who is going to lead the people of God now? Who will be the successor of King David? Well, that brings us to the second king we're going to consider in our study today. The son of David, Adonijah, who we'll look at as the self-exalting king. 
the self-exalting king, Adonijah. So, as you may recall, Adonijah was David's fourth son. David's first son was Amnon. And if you remember our study of Amnon, he was a wicked young man who did wicked things against those in his own family. And as a result, his half-brother, Absalom, put him to death. And then David had a second son. His name was Chiliab. But we really don't know anything about Chiliab because after the mention of his birth, he's never brought up again. Which means most agree that that means he, he died at a young age. There was nothing to record, nothing to write about. So at this point, he is likely dead as well. And then we have the third son. We've already mentioned Absalom, who, as I've already mentioned, he, he tries to overthrow his father, lead this coup against his father. That leads to his death in battle. And then that brings us to the fourth son, this son, Ananijah, who likely then at this point is the oldest living son of David. Well, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because the people probably would have been looking to Adonijah, expecting him to be the next king. I mean, he's next in line for the throne. He's the oldest living son of David. Adonijah would probably be looking to himself as the next king. And yet there's been a detail given to us already in the scripture that helps us to see that Adonijah would not be the next king. That the next king over God's people was going to be Solomon. And we know this because back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God was making his covenant promise with David, he said this to him. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, speaking of what's coming soon, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, when you look at the tenses here, and I won't bore you with all the details, but what becomes clear is that that this son that the Lord is speaking of to David in 2 Samuel 7, that the indication from the language is, is that that son hadn't been born yet at that time. Which helps us to rule out Ananijah and many others. We read here in this text about his brothers who show up at his coronation. But the indication from 2 Samuel 7 would be that the Lord is saying to David specifically, you're going to have another son, and that other son that you're going to have after I make this promise to you, that's going to be the one who's going to sit on the throne. And then just a few chapters later, lo and behold, we have the birth of Solomon. There's also the indication that we'll see when we move further in 1 Kings chapter 1 that David clearly had stated that Solomon would be the one that would succeed him to the throne. Now this doesn't seem to be public knowledge at this point, but I can't help but think Adonijah had kind of sniffed this out a bit. He had an indication this was coming. He had an idea that his old aging father who could not get warm was not about to name him to be the next king. So he takes it upon himself to name himself as the next king. And so I want you to notice three things that we see here about Adonijah. The first is this. He, he exalted himself. No one coerced him. We don't, we don't have a picture here of the commanders of David's army seeking out Adonijah and saying, listen, we're, we're really worried about the kingdom. We're not sure what's going to happen next. You're next in line to the throne. We feel it would be best for you to go ahead and step up and be king. There's no rally here. No one's asking him to do this. He simply decides to declare himself to be the king. He literally says, I will be king. He seeks to exalt himself, to bring glory to himself. And then notice the picture we have here in verse 5. He, he goes out and he gets chariots and horsemen 
and 50 men to run before him. Again, this would have been something the people would have done for the king, but he's doing this for himself because he wants to give every appearance that he is going to be the one to sit on the throne of his father. And in doing so, he, he does all this for his own glory, for his own exaltation. And he's essentially saying, look at me. I'm the one who's going to rule. I'm the one who's going to lead you. Well, where's my father now? What's going to come of my father's kingdom? Look to me for your hope. And with this, Adonijah seeks to take what is not his. He exalts himself. The second thing I want you to notice about him that we see here in verse 6 is that not only did he exalt himself, but he indulged himself. In verse 6, we, we get an insight here to David's relationship with his son Adonijah and, and how that resulted in his son's behavior. Verse 6 says, his father, speaking of David, David had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? So the indication here is not that an old aging David who can't get warm in his bed suddenly at this point in his life hears this about Adonijah but refuses to ask him what he's doing. The indication here is that for the entirety of Adonijah's life, his father never told him no. That for the entirety of his life, his father never in any way did anything that might displease his son. I mean, just think about what this resulted in. To think of just practical applications for us from this. Parents, this, this is a case study in what not to do as parents. If you're a parent here today, I, I hope you know this. We, we don't exist for every pleasure our child has to say yes to them and everything. And children, I hope you know that your parents don't exist to tell you yes to everything you ever asked for. And if you want to see what happens if that's the way you go, this is a picture of it here. You have this self-exalting, self-glorifying son who takes it upon himself to just take what is not his, and it will not end well for him either. But we see how David's failure, his passivity with his son, it just led him to leave a life, not just of self-exaltation, but of self-indulgence. He took whatever he wanted. So there's even mention here of how, how handsome he was. There, there's a picture here that he could kind of just get by with anything. That it wasn't just David who didn't tell him no. Perhaps no one ever told him no. Third thing I want you to notice about Adonijah. Is I wanted you to notice the, the men that he avoided in his self-exalting attempt to be king. Notice the men he avoided. Now, we're told the men that he didn't avoid. we given this list of men who supported him. We read that Adonijah conferred with Joab, the general, who at this point had lost favor with David. And we read he consults with Abiathar, the priest. But notice here who he avoided. He stayed away from those who had truly God-given authority over the people. He stayed away, for example, from Nathan, who was Israel's true prophet. 
that the man who had the courage to stand up to David and to confront him in his sin with Bathsheba, a prophet who did not fear telling the king or this self-exalting one, telling them no. And so he avoided him. He also avoided Zadok, who was Israel's true high priest. He was a man directly descended from Aaron, who was the first high priest in Israel. And we also see, as I've already mentioned, David's true successor as king would be Solomon. But notice how he avoided Solomon as well. So in verse 8, we're told that Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet were not with Adonijah. In verse 10, we're told that Adonijah invited all his brothers to his coronation, but he didn't invite Solomon. Again, this tells us something about Adonijah's self-exalting, selfish attempt, self-indulging attempt to take the throne of his father. He made sure not to include the Lord's chosen prophet, the Lord's chosen priest, or the Lord's chosen king. He, he didn't want their counsel. He didn't want to know what they thought he should do. He wanted to go his own way so he didn't look to them for support because he knew that they would not support him. So he made his own decision to be king for his own glory, for his own pleasure, without submitting to the rule of God as represented by God's prophet, priest, and king. Why is this significant for us today? It's significant for this reason because there are a lot of us who are making this same mistake. A lot of us who exalt ourselves, a lot of us who indulge ourselves, a lot of us who do whatever we can to avoid submitting to the rule of God. To, to avoid the Lord's prophet, priest, and king. See, the, the lesson from 1 Samuel now all the way into 1 Kings is that there is a greater prophet, a greater priest, a greater king who is coming, who now has come, and that's our Lord Jesus. But friends, we go to great lengths, don't we? To avoid submitting our lives to Jesus. But we want to play by our own rules. We want to make our own decisions. We, we don't want to submit ourselves to the authority of another, especially an authority that would tell us no. And as quick as we can be to look at David and his parenting here that was so poor and his refusal to tell his own son no, think of how we operate with God our Heavenly Father. We don't like being told no either, do we? And so what do we do? We, we avoid being told no. We, we, we pull away from the counsel of God's Word when it's in direct opposition to what we want to do. We seek to exalt ourselves and glorify ourselves, much like Adonijah did. But the warning from us from this passage today is to stop and consider, to be cautioned not to make the mistake that Adonijah made, and to submit our lives to the true and greater king, as I've titled in your notes there, the superior king, which is the third and final king we'll consider this morning, the superior king, our King Jesus. This passage is the tale of three kings. Although Jesus is not mentioned in it, all of this points us directly to him. 
Every verse in every chapter of the scripture, it whispers his name. We can't help but look at David and eventually at Solomon and hear it at Elijah. We can't help but look at these men and see how one greater has to come. Even greater than David. We're reminded here in this passage that David's reign, as great as it was, it was temporal. And we contrast that with Jesus and his reign, which is eternal. We see David's reign here was marked by sin and the consequence of the sin. But the reign of Jesus is marked by his death on the cross to defeat sin that we might have life. David's reign came to an end, as would the reign of his sons, but Jesus is the heir to David's throne who reigns forever in majesty. David's life comes to an end as he shivers in cold at an old age. But the picture we have of Jesus in the scripture is of one who reigns in the full blaze of divine glory for all eternity. Jesus is our once and forever king. The question is, will you submit your life to him? Or will you be like Adonijah, this self-exalting, self-indulgent one who refused to submit himself to the rule of God? To God's prophet, his priest, and his king. Who live for his own pleasure and not for God's will. Will you go the way of Adonijah or will you submit yourself to our Lord Jesus who is the true prophet? Who is the true and faithful priest? Who is the rightful king for the people of God? You see the picture we have throughout the scripture is that, that Jesus is the prophet who speaks the word of God. So listen to what he says. The picture we have here is that Jesus is the priest who offered himself as our true and final sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Why would we refuse such an offer? The picture we have in Jesus is of a king who rules us and defends us and shelters us and is sovereign over us. Why would we turn from one as great as him. And yet so often we do this because of our sin, because of the desires of our flesh. And so the call this morning is to turn from our sin and to trust in Jesus. And I'll remind you of how you do that. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that, that he is king, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Friend, if you've not made this confession, we invite you to do that today. And so I want to invite you to stand together as I pray for us. And as we come into a time of responding to God's word together. If you would pray with me. Father, as we... Consider the events of 1 Kings chapter 1, these first 10 verses of a, of a day in history when many people were wondering who would be the next king. We thank you that we live in a day where that, that answer has been given once and for all, that Jesus is the true eternal king. 
And yet, that doesn't mean that he's our king. And so, Father, I pray for anyone here who's yet to confess Christ as their Lord. I pray, Lord, for those who are refusing to submit to your authority today, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to all truth, and through grace and mercy, that you would show us what it means to be forgiven and cleansed of our sin, and to be made in a right relationship with you. If we indeed will believe that Jesus is your Son, that he died on the cross, was buried, and was raised on the third day, if we will confess that he is Lord over all creation and over our lives. Lord, you tell us that we'll do these things that we'll be saved. And so I pray for that saving work now among us. I pray that will be a saving work that we will hold fast to in this chaotic world we live in. And we ask for that now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, church family and guests, we're going to respond to God's word now by singing about the greatness of God. And as we sing, if the Lord is leading you to come this morning to confess Christ as your Lord, to follow up on a, on a public profession of faith through believers' baptism, if he's leading you to come and start the process of joining their church family, or if you just need someone to pray with you today, I'll be available to counsel with you to pray with you. So we invite you to sing, and we invite you to come as the Lord leads. Thank you.